We can't scale the industry from one day to the next. We can't turn around in 2050 and say, okay, we're at net zero. Now let's do some carbon removals. That's why we need carbon removals to be part of the mix in the meantime. Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 22nd of January. I'm your host, Kira Taylor. Later, we'll dive into the European Union's plans to boost carbon captured from the industry and the atmosphere as it looks to reach net zero emissions by mid-century. First, let's take a look at the top climate and energy stories from around the world today. ExxonMobil is suing climate activist investors to stop a proposal to speed up emission cuts. The motion by investor activist group Follow This and Arjuna Capital, a registered investment advisor, calls on the company to set targets to reduce scope 3 emissions produced by users of its oil and gas. It is one of five Western oil majors lacking these. ExxonMobil claims the investors are driven by an extreme agenda. It is the first time the company has gone to court to block a shareholder motion. Russia's largest liquefied natural gas producer, Novatek, has suspended operations at its Baltic Sea terminal after a fire caused by an alleged Ukrainian drone attack. The Interfax Ukraine news agency cited unnamed sources saying the fire was the result of a special operation carried out by Ukrainian security services. Meanwhile, Russian media has reported residents hearing a drone followed by explosions. The war in Ukraine will have been going on for two years in February. Nepal and the Maldives have highlighted the need for cooperation on climate change at the Third South Summit. The meeting between China and the Group of 77, a coalition of developing countries, is taking place in Uganda. The summit agenda includes cooperation in areas like sustainable development, climate change, trade and investment. Leader of the Nepali delegation, Foreign Secretary Sewalam Sal, emphasised the importance of deeper cooperation in facing global challenges like climate change and the need for climate finance promises to be fulfilled. Meanwhile, Vice President Hussein Mohamed Latif from the Maldives also put the focus on the need to ramp up climate finance, especially around adaptation. The UK has announced over £190 million worth of support for its industry to reach net zero emissions. It includes up to £6 million of government support for 12 projects that bring together local partners to develop plans to cut manufacturing emissions. This is targeted at projects outside of the UK's major industrial areas. Companies in these areas account for more than half of the country's industrial emissions. The selected companies include a Yorkshire pet food manufacturer and a pool ferry operator. This is alongside up to £185 million available under the next round of the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund. This aims to help company operations shift to become cleaner and have more energy security. But the UK needs to be doing much more. That's according to a new study by the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment. It found that the UK needs to increase its sustainable public investment into tackling climate change, biodiversity loss and environmental degradation by £26 billion a year, the equivalent of 1% of its GDP. That is needed to improve productivity and economic growth. The report warns that current plans to cut public investment would likely mean more stagnant productivity and weak economic growth, while more money could stimulate private investment. Smart energy technology firm SolarEdge has announced plans to cut 16% of its global workforce. The announcement will impact around 900 employees, about 500 of whom work in the company's manufacturing sites. SolarEdge says the restructuring plan is designed to reduce operating expenses and align its cost structure with current market dynamics. 
It will mean the end of manufacturing in Mexico and a reduction in China. Japan's government has launched an auction for one gigawatt of offshore wind in the north of the country. The locations were selected in October as promotion areas to develop offshore wind production. Australia's government has announced that gas companies Esso and Woodside will supply more gas to the East Coast energy market in return for higher wholesale prices. The amount is sufficient to power East Coast gas-fired power stations for around two and a half years. It will help develop a more reliable energy system and support Australian manufacturing, the government has said. However, Australia's North Territory could overshoot its net zero commitment due to major gas projects. According to climate scientists cited by ABC, there is no realistic path for the Territory to reach its commitment to net zero emissions by 2050. Meanwhile, Chief Minister of the Territory, Eva Lawler, says it is absolutely on track to meet the 2050 target. That's it for the news today. Now onto the story of the moment. The European Union is expected to propose a plan looking at how to deal with residual carbon emissions as it aims to reach net zero emissions by mid-century. This means that any remaining emission will need to be countered by an equivalent removal from the atmosphere. A draft non-binding plan has been circulating around Brussels ahead of its publication on the 6th of February. Foresight got its hands on it, so let's take a closer look. The draft industrial carbon management plan envisions three pathways which together will help tackle residual emissions. They are capturing CO2 for storage, removing CO2 from the atmosphere and permanently storing it, and capturing CO2 to be used in industrial processes. The draft plan also contains some interesting figures about the EU's thinking when it comes to carbon capture and removals. These may still change before the plan is published in February. For instance, the draft says that by 2030, the EU needs to be ready to capture at least 50 million tonnes of CO2 every year. That number may depend on what EU negotiators decide in ongoing talks around the law to boost Europe's competitiveness, the Net Zero Industry Act. Then, by 2050, the draft says the EU will need to capture up to a massive 450 million tonnes of CO2 every year. By then, the Commission expects the power sector to capture more than 100 million tonnes of fossil and biogenic carbon. A further 100 to 200 million tonnes of carbon should be directly captured from the atmosphere, and EU industries like cement and chemicals should also be capturing and storing carbon. But there is a lot of work to do to get there. The draft highlights the need to build up transport infrastructure as well as huge investment needs. Just for starters, capturing 50 million tonnes by 2030 is estimated to require an investment of 3 billion euros. I spoke to Chris Sherwood, Secretary General at the Negative Emissions Platform, about the draft plan. Well, based on the, the leaked draft, I think we're quite pleased, really, that the Commission seems to be recognising a distinct role for carbon removals in its roadmap. Also, it looks like there is an intention to assess in more detail how carbon removals could be linked to the emissions trading scheme. And this, you know, in general is, is about the creation of a compliance market for carbon removals. And that's very, very positive because the voluntary market 
as important as it is, is never going to be sufficient in terms of its scale to really make a difference on the on, in terms of the climate. So that's really positive. Perhaps slightly disappointing is some of the kind of presentational aspects of the leaked draft. In particular, you know, some of the graphs which put carbon dioxide removals and emissions reductions in the same graph. You know, these are very, very different things, both from a technological, but also from an environmental perspective and from a policy perspective should also be distinct. So we would love to see a bit more separation between emissions reductions and carbon removals in the, the introductory sections of the document, including some of the graphics, because that will contribute to clearer understanding in media and um, in the public uh, of what, these, what, what carbon removals are. One of the concerns I hear when we talk about compliance markets is that it will become an excuse for people not to decarbonize. Do you think or have you seen moves to really emphasize which sectors should be using these compliance markets? Well, that's something which the European Commission should definitely be putting into its policies. So we expect that to be part of the of the policy mix that that comes out it's obviously a little bit early for us to to be talking about that but but in principle yes we fully agree that carbon removal should not be incentivizing business as usual continued use of uh, fossil fuels and should not be enabling continued emissions of fossil fuels. And we very much support the, the, the strongest possible cuts to emissions. So very pleased to see that the Commission in its 2040 targets communication, which has also been leaked, seems to be pushing for really quite fast moves towards the 2050 net zero target. And I think what's important there is that the carbon removal element of the target needs to be explained and needs to be, or, or let's say the role of the carbon removal target needs to be explained in its broader context. And the reality is that the carbon removals element of the policy mix will play the role of compensating for residual emissions after we reach net zero and reducing the historical emissions which are already in the atmosphere and the reason that we need them before 2050, before we reach net zero, is just because we can't scale the industry from one day to the next. We can't turn around in 2050 and say, okay, we're at net zero, now let's do some carbon removals. That's why we need carbon removals to be part of the mix in the meantime. However, not everyone is so happy. Wernold Stoos, policy lead at the NGO Carbon Market Watch, warned that the plan is not strong enough and fails to give different sectors enough guidance on what is needed to reach net zero. But I think it's very important that we understand which sectors are going to use what, like which role can carbon capture and utilization play. It is only a climate solution if it's used well. I, there are sectors where we will need carbon. CCU can provide that carbon in a more sustainable way than we do today. It's a solution. It has a niche in which you can operate. The same with CCS. CCS is not a solution for every single emission we have in Europe. We should not be doing CCS on the power sector. It's way too expensive, way too inefficient. We should be focusing on a, a few industries where we don't have any other options right now. We can't decarbonize them. We can't electrify them. Fine, CCS can, at the moment, give a solution. Cement's being a key one at the moment, though I'm hearing that other 
low carbon or no carbon cement options are becoming available that don't use CCS. So even there, that window might close at some point. But this is supposed to give industry that clarity. Uh, you are a steel manufacturer. Well, don't count on CCS because there are alternatives. You are a power industry. Well, you're not going to put CCS on your coal fire power plants because there's other things to do. This kind of stuff was supposed to be in this in this communication to give clarity which sectors should be counting on what. How do we ramp this up? How do we help sectors in terms of policy, in terms of regulatory framework? That's kind of missing. There is a whole section on transport infrastructure, which I think is I think that's a valuable issue. They, I, we do need to discuss this. We do need to think about how do we transport the CO two. I think that's a useful part of it, but it doesn't really fit in the whole picture of. Who gets to use CCS if it's only cement plants in Europe and some chemical industry? Where are they located? What does that mean in terms of infrastructure development? That kind of logical thinking is missing a lot. And when it comes to the international aspect of this, is this something that the European Commission is leading on globally and, and would be able to set the conversation? I think for many elements, yes. Some EU member states are already going beyond this. Germany has been busy with its industrial carbon management strategy for the last two years. I think in a few months, we're expecting a major output there. So there are countries that are moving faster than this. But at the same time, yes, internationally, people need to, well, policymakers need to start realizing which sectors can decarbonize, which cannot, what are the tools to do so. And industrial decarbonization is not an easy topic, but this could give impetus there. We saw at COP28, there was the unabated or abated fossil fuel discussion, or are we phasing out fossil fuels? Are we phasing down fossil fuels? This kind of discussion is still happening at the international level. The very least the EU can do is make it very clear, we are phasing out completely fossil fuels by this date, and we're going to do it this way. I think that would be a very attractive message across the globe to show how is the EU a a powerhouse economy. We, we tend to not look at ourselves that way, but we are one of the major economies in the world. If we can do this, if we have a plan to do this, others can pick up on that. There might be elements that are very useful for them, that at least it gives a sense of, of ambition, of leadership, of courage. And I don't think this, this communication does that. So actually it needs to be a very good plan, not just for the EU, but for the international aspect. I think if it's a good plan for the EU, then internationally, that will give a very clear signal and a very good signal, and others will be able to pick up parts of this. We are not the only ones with the cement industry that is struggling to decarbonize. This is a global issue. If Europe can show how it's going to do it, that is very attractive for the US, China, Turkey, other major economies with significant cement production. Weynold thinks the plan needs to go back to the drawing board if it is ever going to be effective. That is unlikely to happen, although some small changes could still take place before it is presented on the 6th of February. The plan could then act as a steer for the next European Commission after the elections. What are your views on dealing with residual emissions? Let us know in the contribution section. That's all we have time for today on The Jolt. Thanks for joining me. My colleague Sam will be back tomorrow with more climate and energy news from around the world. On Friday, Sam and I caught up to discuss what had happened that week and our outlook for 2024. If you haven't already listened, why not head to the Foresight website and check it out. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the job.